In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Jesus makes comparisons that seem kind of obvious. Today seems to be one of those days. Between the Pharisee and the tax collector, you know which one you are supposed to be. But more than being the right kind of person, this text is about right worship, about right faith. Now, in our Sunday morning Bible study, we've been studying worship, and if you haven't been joining us, I certainly invite you to participate in that. Now, recently, we've been discussing the direction of worship, that there are two aspects of Christian worship, that God gives to us, and then what we give to God. Now, which one do you think matters more? What we say to God, or what God says to us? Now, it's probably obvious that God's word and works matter more than our own. But maybe it isn't so obvious. So let's, let's play with this idea a little bit. So what would church be like if the congregation were completely silent? What if the only one who did speaking in worship was God? Would it still be church? So I think that we can safely say that worship means that we need to speak to God as well. And talking to God, we, we call that prayer. That means, by the way, if you can pray, that you know God. If you don't know him, you can't pray to him. And you also know that you don't have to go to church in order to pray. You can talk to God anywhere at any time, and this is even what you are exhorted to do. For St. Paul says, pray continually. So if you're at work or school or driving down the road or doing your chores, then you are to pray. You are to talk to God. But what happens in worship when people have only prayer to God? What if that is all they are doing in worship? It means that these people want to talk to God, but they don't want God to talk to them. Those who believe this way think they don't need to hear what God says. They are more interested in their own words than God's words. So if someone only prays to God and never stops to listen to God's word, that person will end up just talking about himself. He will praise his own works, and he will be silent about God's works. And if he doesn't believe it already, eventually he will come to believe that his works are better and more important than God's works. Now, both God's words and our words are necessary in Christian worship. But God's words and God's works are far more important than our own words and works. 
This is why we need to go to church. The end of today's text tells us why. You go to church to be justified, to be declared righteous by God, and to receive his forgiveness for all your sins. This justification doesn't happen by your own works. It is accomplished by God's works. It is delivered to you by God's word. And so that means if you expect to come and be righteous in God's sight, then you need both God's works and his word. Now, perhaps some of you have heard the teaching that a sermon ought to be practical. It should give you a list of things to do during the week. The sermon's focus should be all about what you can do for God. This idea happens because people can become more interested in their own achievements than they are in the suffering and death of Jesus. They would rather hear about themselves than hear about Jesus. To be clear, the Bible gives us both what Jesus has done for us and provides instruction for living the Christian life. These two, justification and sanctification, go together. Justification is God accepting the death of Jesus as the payment and forgiveness for all your sins. Sanctification is God working in you, enabling you to live in faith toward him and love toward your neighbor. You can't have one without the other. They go together. Both are good. Both are important. But which one is most important? Well, let's consider our friend, the Pharisee. He thanks God. Thanking God is good and right. He thanks God for all the good works that God has accomplished in him. He is thankful that he is free of the suffering that comes from being a loan shark or a philanderer or a cheat. These are good things. If you have these blessings, then you should thank God. If you love and honor your spouse, you should thank God that he has spared you the heartache of divorce. If you eat and drink with temperance, you should thank God that you don't know the pain that goes with gluttony and drunkenness. If you know the love and companionship of having good friends, then you should thank God that others look upon you kindly. And I think, too, there are good reasons for this Pharisee to be grateful that he is not the tax collector. Tax collectors worked for Rome, an empire known for all kinds of sinful idolatry. And so he can pray, I'm glad my job doesn't enrich an evil empire. The way tax collectors would make their money would be by cheating people. So to say, well, I'm glad my job doesn't require me to cheat my fellow Jews and my countrymen. Tax collectors brought harm to families, and they were universally despised. And so I'm glad that my position in society doesn't make others hate and mock me. I am grateful that God has permitted me to live in this nation 
and not some others, that I am in a place where I am among the freest in the world. I am grateful that I don't live under the constant threat of a terrorist breaking into my home to murder me and my wife and children. Now, this Pharisee, I think, could have prayed many of these things, given God all the glory and credit, and it could have been a fine prayer. The Pharisee also knows the law. He knows what God demands. And so this man fasted not once a week, but twice a week. He tithed not just a tenth of his income as the law demanded, but a tenth of everything he owned. He dearly loved God and wanted to please him. He was enthusiastic about living a holy life. He was a man who thanked God. Maybe his prayer isn't so bad after all. Maybe if we read his prayer with the right tone, it might be okay. But what's really wrong with this man's prayer is what he does not say. His prayer is nominally addressed to God, but notice what the Pharisee never does. He never asks God for anything. He believes himself to be self-sufficient. He needs nothing from God. And so his faith then is focused on his own works. And it was thus not a prayer to God, but only a prayer to himself. This man had come to the temple to pray, but he wasn't alone there that day. There was a whole assembly there. But the Pharisee did not stand with the congregation He stood away from them by himself. He stood where he could look down upon others, where he could see the tax collector cowering in the back corner. He wanted others to hear, to notice his prayer. And we also hear in his prayer how he despised his neighbor. He didn't use the rich blessings of God to then bless his neighbor. And because he broke the command to love his neighbor, we also know that he didn't really love God. He loved only himself. And so this means that if you want to conduct your Christian life in such a way that celebrates your own Christian service, if you want to focus only on what you do for God, then look to this Pharisee for your example. Follow the Pharisee and come into the Lord's house and pray in thanksgiving for all the good that you have been able to do. Offer God, offer God a list of all your accomplishments and wait for his word of commendation. Show and prove to God that you do not need him. Rather, you have come to church to show how much God needs you. Come and offer your worship this way, and you will receive the Pharisees' reward. Jesus says this man did not leave the temple justified. 
He will leave the temple with the same righteousness he brought in. He will not get anything better. The Pharisee did not receive the Lord's mercy because he despised mercy. He wanted to be rewarded according to his works. And that meant that he despised and looked down upon all others who receive the Lord's mercy. He despises the tax collector not only because tax collectors were liars and extortioners who betrayed their countrymen to the Roman occupiers. He despises the tax collector because because the tax collector gets God's mercy. He's upset that the other man gets to go home justified. He's angry that this lying cheat of a man gets a better righteousness than the righteousness the Pharisee walked in with. The sad irony here is that that same justification was also available to the Pharisee. Now, the Pharisee rejected the better righteousness, though, because he had such a high opinion of his own. He had a contempt toward others because he trusted in himself that he was righteous. The same thing happened in our Old Testament today. Cain did not want God's grace, so he is angry with Abel when Abel receives it so angry that he takes his brother's life. Now, maybe you hear all this and you see your own sin in the Pharisees' words and actions. You see how you have presented your own works to God, expecting him to be pleased with them. You have brought only your good works before him and failed to ask him for his grace. Maybe you know that you have looked at others and thought them outside of God's grace, as though the death and resurrection of Jesus couldn't possibly apply to a person like that. Maybe you have not only thought those things, but said them, and said the words, God damn them, offering a prayer to God that he would send someone else to hell. Maybe you have despised your neighbor and wanted to harm him because he had received the blessing of God while you did not. Maybe you have thought that God owes you happiness and a good life and contentment and peace, and you have become angry when God gives those things to others. Seeing your own words and works reflected in the Pharisee has filled your heart with sorrow. Maybe you hear all of this, and you are grateful that you've done none of those things. Maybe you're glad that you've never prayed the Pharisee prayer. Maybe you pray instead, thank you, God, that I'm not like those prideful men, that I don't stand up in your house and pray for everyone else to see. Thank you that I say the right prayers and believe and do all the right things. Thank you, Lord, that I don't look down on others. Thank you, God, that I am above judging others. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this Pharisee.
Repent, dear saints, and look to Christ. Be more concerned about what God has done for you than what you have done or have failed to do for God. Look to the tax collector for your example. He knows that God demands what is good, and he has not done what God demands. He knows the fruit of his faith has been lacking and rotten. Perhaps at times he cannot even see any good fruit at all. So he will not offer his good works to God as payment for his sins. He knows that whatever good he has done, it won't undo his wrong. Nor will he offer his good works as proof that God is pleased with him. Instead, his heart is full of sorrow. Not the sorrow of regret that he has been caught, but the sorrow of a guilty man who mourns his own guilt. He knows there is nothing in himself worthy to offer to God. When the Pharisee prays, he lists off his good works. He names them specifically. But the tax collector specifies nothing. He doesn't argue with God about which is or isn't sin. He doesn't try to make his sin sound not so bad. He simply pleads for the Lord's mercy. Now, this is not to say that there is no benefit in listing your sins. If a particular sin troubles you, then by all means, name it. But what the tax collector recognizes here is that he could never possibly name all of his sins. He knows that God already knows all of them. He doesn't have to enumerate them. And so he takes the whole mass and mass of his sin and he dumps it right there in the temple. For him, there is no comparing himself to others. In his prayer, he calls himself not a sinner, but the sinner. I have sinned by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. That's the sorrow over his sin. And yet this man also prays with great faith. He pleads for God to be merciful. That's all. That's all that he can do. God's mercy is his only hope. And we should point out that the word Jesus uses here for mercy isn't the one we typically use. The tax collector isn't just asking for God's pity and compassion. He is specifically referring to the sacrifice made in the temple. He is referring to the place over the Ark of the Covenant where the sacrificial blood would be poured, the mercy seat. The Ark held the Ten Commandments, God's law and standard for all of mankind. So the tax collector asked God himself to stand between his sin and God's demands. He's asking God to be the sacrifice that covers up all his sin and his law-breaking. The tax collector would not lift up his eyes to heaven. He beats his breast and by faith directs his attention to Jesus hanging dead on the cross and says, I want that. This is why the temple exists. The temple is the place of God's sacrifice for sin, 
those who had come to the temple would bring an offering and they would eat part of the sacrifice, thus receiving the forgiveness of all their sin. The promise of forgiveness was attached to the eating. But the Pharisee has forgotten why the temple exists. So he goes to the temple, makes his prayer, eats the sacrifice, and goes home without the forgiveness of sin. He does the thing but has no faith in Christ, so he doesn't get its benefits. His faith is only in himself, his own righteousness, his own good works. But the tax collector refuses to present his good works before God. He simply begs for the Lord's salvation, and he goes home justified. So where is your faith focused, dear saints? Do you look to what you do for God? or to what God has done for you in Christ. When you come to church Sunday after Sunday and you hear the same message of Christ's crucifixion, do you find it uninteresting or tiresome? Do you want to go beyond the message of the Lord's cross to your own victorious life? Do you think there's too much talk here of sin and forgiveness? that there might be something more uplifting and joyful than Jesus' suffering and death, something happier than his shed blood for you. And go stand with the tax collector in the corner of the temple. Beat your breast and bear your soul to God before you go and try to serve God. See how much you need his service See that your righteousness is entirely lacking. You haven't measured up to even one of the commandments. You haven't loved God or neighbor as you ought. And so instead, look to him who suffered for you. Look at his death. See the innocent one shed his blood in your place. See what he wins for you and bestows to you. For he takes all your law-breaking and gives to you his law-keeping. He has kept every one of his commandments in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, refuse to lift up your righteousness above his commandments and despise them. For your Lord gives you what is good. Now this tax collector stood far off and he would not raise his eyes to heaven. You do not have to raise your eyes to heaven to receive your Lord's righteousness. For Christ your Lord comes down. He comes down to the font and washes you clean, covering you with his own righteousness. He stands in front of you and speaks his word of absolution. He comes before you with his own flesh and blood, putting his own righteousness into you. And then see the fruit of that blood. See how God takes that sacrifice and works in you to accomplish every good desire, word, or deed that you will ever do. Before God, forget about your victory over this sin or that one. Forget about all the good you want to do for God. 
see instead that the suffering and death of Jesus is the very foundation and source of the forgiveness of all your sins. Treasure Jesus, his holy life, his humble service, his bitter suffering, his innocent death, his victorious resurrection, his continual intercession on your behalf at the right hand of the Father. His words and his work are more valuable and precious than all the works of all the holy people in the world gathered together into one pile. So do you want to give God your body as a living sacrifice? Do you want to offer to God your sincere and acceptable service? Do you want a life that praises God, a life sanctified by the Holy Spirit living in and through you? If that's what you want, then you must throw away all your good works. You must leave behind your law-breaking. You must look to Christ alone. For when Christ and his word and his works are your glory, then you actually begin to live that new life. The more attention you pay to Christ and his works, the less attention you pay to yourself and to your works, the more that you are equipped by God to live the holy life that he calls you to. And so he sends you out from this place justified, a new creature with new desires and new loves. As one who has received mercy, you now begin to live that life of mercy. For your God has spoken his pardon. His righteousness alone gives you the righteousness you need. His righteousness alone is the foundation and source for every good thing that you will ever do. In the holy name of Jesus, the peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.